Well, if you've been with us over the last, really the last term, you'll realise that we've been working through a part of Luke's gospel. And this, for the moment, is the last sermon you're going to hear from Luke for a while, uh, at least here. You can go anywhere else and hear a Luke sermon if you'd like, but uh, at least here our series is coming to an end. We've been looking at Jesus the King, and we've been seeing what it means to follow him. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a uh, probably a parable that would be one of Jesus's more provocative ones. One about the king who, or the man who goes away to be made king and he leaves his servants uh, a task. Jesus told the parable to prepare his disciples and us for his death and his resurrection and his going away. And if you noticed at the end of the reading that uh, Simon brought to us just then, Jesus departed and left, left his disciples behind. And we now are in that period between Jesus' ascension and his promised return. Jesus has told us that we are to carry on his business We are to draw on the resources that he has given us and we are to serve him faithfully until he returns. So we need to ask ourselves, though, how we turn off our telephones so they don't make noise and interrupt the preacher while he's trying to introduce. I'm going to restart the clock now. I'll get those, I'll get those two minutes back. No. It's quite funny, just uh, while Jeff sorts out his phone. Uh, last week at Woodcroft, I was talking to Colin Taylor, uh, who's the pastor down there, who many of us will know. Uh, someone tragically had a seizure in the middle of their Good Friday service. Uh, and so the preacher gets to preach it again today, because uh, he only got halfway through last time. So anyway, uh, thankfully the lady, uh, she was okay. Uh, and... Uh, was most apologetic about the fact that this had happened. Anyway, uh, enough little sidetracks. We're under control. That's good. Yes, good. We need to ask ourselves, what does it actually mean? Because Jesus told this parable, and if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you, you heard it. He told his servants to carry on his business. What does that mean? Here at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus puts flesh on the bones. He tells us what it means to serve him, how we are to spend our times while we wait for him to come back because he is coming back. And like the king in the parable, he will call us to give an account. And if you are like me, you will want to hear, well done, my good servant, not the other option. So we're going to explore that this morning. Uh, I'm back to my uh, alliterative self. Uh, We've got three points. They all bring in with M. Mandate, mission and method. So let's talk about mandate. Now, there's a point where you've got to look at Jesus. And maybe we don't see this because you may be familiar with Jesus. uh, But if you met him for the first time, if this was the first time you ever heard Jesus spoken of, You'd have to to say, who do you think you are? Because this is an outrageous claim. Jesus demands absolute allegiance. 
he brooks no rivals. So you might remember in the Gospels, he walks past people and he says, you come and follow me. And people get up and they follow. Jesus calls for a completely undivided loyalty. You are to serve him and him alone. Who does he think he is? We, as a culture, don't sit well with this kind of authority. We are suspicious. Can you imagine uh, one of our political leaders demanding such authority of us? We hold them with a polite level of respect or maybe an impolite level of respect. Australians, we are not good at honouring those in leadership over us. We are suspicious. We are even cynical. And we don't like it when someone cuts across our authority, where someone makes claims that supersede our right to call the shots. We even see it, I don't know, uh, have you been invited to a Facebook event? Younger generation, definitely. Okay. Um, You think RSVP, there's really two necessary options, aren't there? No, as a culture, we need a third option, which is the maybe option. Okay. Are you going? Yes, no, maybe. Well, what does maybe mean? And anyone who knows if you've ever put a a Facebook event, maybe actually does mean no, but I'm just not going to say it. We like to leave our options open. We like to leave ourselves with a way out. I didn't say I was going and I don't feel like it now. So I said maybe. Maybe means maybe not. So I'm not going to show up. And I'll follow Jesus. Maybe. It's kind of why we want Commitment Sunday, because it's actually good to say, not maybe, but yes. So why should you consider Jesus as anyone different? Well, we've just celebrated Easter, and the resurrection of Jesus is unique in history. No one has done what Christ did. This has never happened before. It will not happen again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is unique. And Paul, one of Jesus' messengers, tells us this in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. He said that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection demonstrates the absolute unique authority of Jesus of Nazareth. It's the foundation for his authority and power. And it means that he has every right to come in and say, I expect that I should be the center of your life. He has every right to call each man and woman before his throne to say, what have you done? What do you make of me, your king? The resurrection gives a unique mandate to Jesus. And so people kind of, they want to kind of get around that, don't they? Did he actually rise? 
And we could sit here this morning and I could give you a sermon. I could outline reasons why the tomb was empty and it wasn't the disciples who stole the body. They didn't go to the wrong tomb and all those kind of historical proofs. But for me, they're not the conclusive ones. The conclusive ones are what you see in those 11 men and those others around them at the time. Here you have, we read about it, didn't we? Simon's there reading for us. And I don't know if you noticed just how thick these guys are. Okay, they, Jesus, uh, the angels are there at the tomb and they tell the women who go and tell the disciples, Jesus is risen and they don't believe them. And then they're walking the road to Emmaus and Jesus himself is alongside two of these disciples who they spend the whole afternoon unpacking the Bible and talking about how the death and resurrection of Jesus were what the, the Bible promised. But then, when those two come back, they still don't get it. And then Jesus himself appears amongst them. And while they still didn't believe, did you, did you hear that? Jesus is there. And he actually has to sit down and have a meal with them to make sure the fish doesn't kind of drop through. It's not a ghost. Jesus is actually there. And those men, those disciples, turn from people who are disbelieving and afraid into people who spend their very lives declaring the gospel, the good news of of Jesus of Nazareth. I posted something through the week that some of you may have seen on Facebook about uh, a quote that Charles Colson uh, made. Now, if you don't know Charles Colson, Charles Colson was one of the key advisors to President Nixon, uh, President Nixon of the United States, obviously. Uh, and uh, Nixon was involved in a scandal called Watergate uh, that brought down uh, his presidency. Uh, and Colson is converted after this in prison. Okay, he writes this. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not have endured it if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men of the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years. Absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. These men, they encountered the risen Jesus and it transformed them. He gave them a mission. Like the king in the parable, Jesus gives his disciples a task to do. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, I'm going away. Uh, I'll come back. You can just kick back and relax. You know, you can get busy, do what you want to do. Um, just don't make too much of a mess. I'll be back a little bit later on. He doesn't do that. Jesus tells them they are to pursue his business with his resources until he returns. They are to live 
in a community that doesn't acknowledge him and in some cases downright opposes him, they are to do that faithfully because he is coming back. And Jesus gives them a message to proclaim. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the Old Testament, it must be fulfilled. Jesus tells us that what we record What we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four Gospels. The story of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, is a story that is not just written in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's written throughout the Old Testament. I don't know how familiar you are with the Old Testament, but let me give you some reasons why you should always be reading the Old Testament as part of your Bibles. Sometimes Christians kind of go, oh, that's the Jewish bit. I'll just stick with the New Testament. No, it's all ours. Why do we need the Old Testament? Because Jesus tells us that the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, they speak of him. Let me tell you a few things. The Old Testament provides the context. It's like, imagine you went to the theatre one day and uh, you, you were running late, okay? And you walk in and it's act four. You've missed act one, act two, act three, and there's all this stuff happening on the stage and that person kind of looks important and they're saying something really significant, but you're kind of going, how does this work? It's like that with the Gospels. If you only start at Matthew and the New Testament, it's like walking in and missing the first three acts of the play. And you can kind of look at Jesus and you kind of, yeah, I kind of get what you're doing. And it is explained. But having those preceding acts, one, two and three, it gives us the background. It shows us, firstly, what our need truly is. You remember the disciples, they were not looking for a Messiah who would go to a cross. Remember again and again, Jesus would tell them that he would suffer, he would die and he would rise and they kind of don't get it. Because the disciples and those around them, they thought their number one problem, it was the Romans. And if we can just get rid of the Romans, it'll all be good. And so what they need is a warrior king who's going to come and kick the Romans out. What do we see as our number one issue? Is it that little random virus that seems to have us all so scared? Is it maybe unemployment? Is it our mental health? Is it our financial security? What is it that we see as the big issue? What is it that if that problem was solved, everything else would be so much better? That is the key to life. Now, the Old Testament gives us the answer to that question. And it tells us the number one issue is sin. It's our rejection of God as God. 
We don't want him on the throne. We don't want him calling the shots. We might acknowledge him, but we want him in his place, serving our ends, not us serving his ends. And the Bible teaches us that human sin not only affects us personally, but affects us cosmically. That when we see the issues that we look at in society and say, what about the environment? What about diseases like COVID? What about all these things, this mental health stuff? What about all those? It comes back to the scripture teaches humanity's rejection of God. This guy, uh, until his recent promotion to glory, uh, was one of the leading Anglican theologians in the world, J.I. Packer. You might have heard his name. Uh, if you haven't read uh, any of his stuff, grab He's got a little book. It's a bit old now, but it's a wonderful book called Knowing God. Uh, grab it. And in this, he speaks of this issue. He says, we've all heard the gospel. That's the death, the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus presented as God's triumphant answer to human problems. Problems of our relation with ourselves and our fellow humans and our environment. Well, there is no doubt that the gospel does bring us solution to these problems, but it does so by first solving a deeper problem, the deepest of all human problems, the problem of man's relation with his maker. And unless we make it plain that the solution to the former problems depends on settling the latter one, we are misrepresenting the message and becoming false witnesses of God. Packer tells us the gospel has implication for the environment, yes. The gospel has implications for social justice, yes. The gospel solves the issues of mental health and illness, yes. But it does so first by solving the issue of our relationship with God. That is what the Old Testament does. It gives us our need. And as that, it defines our hope. You wake up this morning, you've got a headache. Okay. If you know what causes the headache, you know how to fix it. Okay, it may be that uh, your wife has snuck in, uh, or your husband, and got a belt and just strapped it really, really, really tight around your head. A bit odd, you might say. It's a really weird thing to do. But the solution there is different to if you had just a, a headache or a brain tumour. As you understand what the issue is, you know what to look for in a solution. And if we understand that the number one issue confronting the human race is not political oppression by Rome or disease or whatever, but our rejection of God as God, we are going to look for someone who can fix that issue. And that is what the Old Testament tells us. And so it makes promises. Genesis 3, God speaks to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head 
and you will strike his heel. A prophecy of someone who will come and deal with Satan and evil once for all. Isaiah the prophet 600 years BC speaks of one who would come and bear our sin. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So we look for someone who will deal with evil, but also bear our sin. And as, they do, as he does that, we look for one who will bring new creation. Isaiah 66 as the new heavens and the new earth that I will make, the Lord says, will endure before me. So your name and your descendants will endure. We look and we see that the Old Testament is full of promises of God setting us straight. And as he deals with sin, he deals with the effects of sin within creation. And this is what Jesus tells the disciples he opens their minds to understand the scriptures and he says to them thus it is written that the christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead this is the message the message that we were prepared for by the old testament the message of the suffering the fact that the christ jesus would stand in our place and bear our sins the suffering and the resurrection, that as he goes to the tomb, he rises again. And that resurrection it is the first fruit of the new creation. It's the promise that God will make all things new. It is the fulfillment of promises like Isaiah 66, where God will set all things straight. The hope that we look for that is foreshadowed in Revelation 21 when it speaks of God making all things new and wiping every tear from our eyes. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The suffering of the Christ. His resurrection from the grave. This is the good news that the disciples are commissioned to speak and it's news. I'm starting to have issues here, Alio, so you're going to have to start uh, clicking for me. So we should be at good news is coming, if you can see that one, because it's not working for me. Okay. This is what they're told to do. This is what faithful service of the king looks like. It is proclaiming his message. And this message is news, not advice. Sometimes we look at the gospel, the Christian message as, well, how to just do life better. No. The news, first and foremost, is news about what has happened. What God has done to set things straight. It is news about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It is essentially historical. Some people argue that it doesn't really matter if Jesus rose or didn't rise. You know, he said lots of good stuff and we can kind of follow along with him. The Apostle Paul, in the passage that we're going to look at uh, in the next couple of weeks after this sermon, he speaks and he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are pathetic. 
That's what he says. We are to be more pitied than all people if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We are tied to the essential historicity of this fact. And that is what the disciples and we were called to announce. And then we see that Jesus says that this... Uh, this news, the next line, thanks, Alio, it demands a response. It's not just that you tell them what's happening. It's actually something that we need to respond to. Repentance and for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Repentance. Repentance can mean a number of different things. It can be a change of mind. Here, I think Jesus is drawing on the idea it's a change of allegiance. It's turning away from allegiance to anything else other than Christ himself and putting your trust in God. It's taking anyone else, including ourselves, from the throne and putting Christ back there. It is that you turn. Next slide, thanks, Alio. It is this idea of this shift, this complete turnaround this complete shift of allegiance. Now, it's become quite fashionable in Christian circles. Uh, Maybe you yourself have used this language. I know I have, so I'm not having a go at you if you have. Um, We talk about being broken. You hear that kind of language around? Um, But, you know, when we walk through the house, maybe a bit too quick and are not careful enough, and we knock the vase off the thing and it falls to the floor, the vase is in no way responsible for its situation is it no it is broken and can i just say talking about being broken it takes away that personal element it takes away that idea of personal responsibility but sin at its heart can we have the next slide is a 100 percent active rebellion against god So yes, sin does break us. We are affected by it. But it is not a passive thing. It is us rejecting. And Jesus says, the message you are to take is the message that God's king has died to set you right with God himself. And he has risen from the dead and you must give your allegiance to him. You must respond This is not just some nice news that has no impact. It is something that he calls us to respond to. Jesus is coming back. He is going to call every person to account. This king, this king who by his grace took our penalty, This king who died to win rebels back so that we might repent and have our sins forgiven and live as his subjects. So how are we going to do it? This brings us to our last point. What's the method? Now, you might have been familiar with this guy. Let's see if this works. No. Oh, there he is. Francis of Assisi. 
You ever come across Francis of Assisi? Okay, he's quite an interesting kind of figure. I don't know quite how much of what we read about him is actually true, but there's a famous slogan associated with Francis of Assisi. It says, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Have you heard that? Okay, can I just say, um, as I research during the week, it's probably not something that he actually said, uh, but can I say, even if he did say it, He's wrong. He's wrong. When necessary, use words. It is always necessary to use words. Because Jesus gives us a message, not just to embody, but to proclaim. A message that we are to speak in his name. Can we have the next slide? Thanks, Alia. He tells us that it is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. It is a message that must go out and it's a message that has gone out. And we are evidence that it has come to us 2,000 years later on the far side of the globe. It is a message for all nations, not just for a few. Jesus is not just the Lord of Israel. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is a message that must be proclaimed. And as we saw in the kids' talk, it's not a a message that we are at liberty to change. We can't recraft it into something that we're more comfortable with. The disciples were identified in the Next verse, thanks, Alia. They were identified as the witnesses and they were to testify to what they had seen. And we have their testimony written down in Scripture. And so we come and if we are to be faithful to our King, we proclaim the message that he gave us. We speak of the suffering and the resurrection of the Christ. We call people to repentance and faith. Now, it's a massive task. I've been uh, in Christian ministry now, vocationally speaking, uh, if you count my student days, for almost 25 years. Now, I can tell you in all honesty, I have never converted one person. So you might think, okay, there's a job uh, appraisal that needs to happen here for Cameron. uh, That, uh, you know, what kind of a pastor is this guy? Can I say I have seen many people converted, but I have converted none of them. It is a task that is beyond us. But you remember what the king gave to his servants. He gave to them everything that they needed to do the task that he set them. And so we read this in our next verse. I'm going to send to you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What has the father promised? The father had promised the Holy Spirit. And I have seen the Holy Spirit transform Men and women, boys and girls, bringing them from death to life, opening eyes, softening hearts. I have the privilege of seeing this happen through others. I've had the privilege of it happen through me. It is God's work and he gives us everything that we need 
to make this happen. He gives this mission, this mission to call the nations to repentance because he is the king. He gives it to the whole of his church, not just to some. And so as we look at the king, and as we move out of Luke's gospel at this point, as we think about what's next, hopefully we walk out of here thinking, I want to be faithful. Not only does he call me to be faithful, but I see that he is worth everything that I can give him and more because he has been faithful to me. He has brought me from death to life. And if we doubt that we can be useful in God's mission, remember that it was someone who shared the gospel with you. Maybe that was a family member. Maybe it was someone at school, someone at uni, someone at church, someone in the workplace. Someone spoke to you. Maybe some many people spoke to you. And remember that if God can save you, he can save anyone. He can save anyone. I love the fact at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, and the Apostle Paul has been working through a whole argument about the resurrection. And he says these words. He says, remember that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. As you live faithfully with your allegiance given wholeheartedly to the king, he will use you. What he has given you will bear fruit in your lives, in the lives of many. And he will come back and he will call you before and he will hear those words. Well done, my good servant. Come and share your master's glory. Let's pray. Father, we are given a task. A task it's so easy to be distracted from. A task it's so easy to be intimidated by but a task that you give us everything that we need to be faithful for. You give us a task to proclaim the message that you yourself have given to us. We don't need to invent it. We just need to repeat it. And you have given us power from on high. Your Holy Spirit lives and works in us and through us. Father, we ask that he would now encourage us by showing us more of the beauty and the glory of your son, our king, showing his inestimable worth, that we might have delight in speaking of him to others. And Father, we ask that he would speak through us, that he would take our words as they reflect your words to convict people, to comfort them and to draw them to repentance and faith in you. And Father, we pray this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. We're going to spend just a moment uh, of quiet reflection and then we're going to sing a song that reminds us 
and encourages us of the task that is put before us as God's people.